to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Today, I'm talking to Jared Watson. He's the lead singer of Dirty Heads, a reggae rock band with multiple gold records from Huntington Beach, California. He started the band as a teenager, but as the group rose to success, his drinking and drug use also rose. But he decided to get sober a few years ago. And when he did, he uncovered mental health issues that he'd been masking with his substance abuse. But he says he started healing his mind and his body when he began treating himself like a human science experiment. Through careful observation and a willingness to try a whole bunch of different strategies, he learned the exact diet, fitness routine, and self-help tools that helped his mind and his body thrive. I'm excited to share his tips on the show because as a therapist, I know that what works best for one person doesn't work for everyone. But you won't know what works best for you unless you're willing to experiment. Today, Jared is sharing the strategies that work best for him and how you can discover which tools work best for you. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Jared's strategies and talk about how you could apply them to your own life. So here's Jared Watson. He's mentally strong, and this is his story. Jared Watson, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Thanks for having me. So I actually saw you in concert this summer when you came to Key West. Oh, no way. Uh, yes way. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I mean, I get excited because we never played Key West before, and it was like little Hunter S. Thompson museum kind of like experience for us. And just to get down there and, and play on such a small island for that many people, it was kind of rad. It was a great concert. I love yeah. the venue down there to be outside. And um, I'm a fan of both Dirty Heads and Sublime. So we were glad you came. My producer, in fact, has actually recorded Rome before. So In the um, studio? Uh, yeah. So we decided, let's go. Let's go check it out. Oh, with right. Enrique, he said, yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but at the time that I saw you, I didn't know your backstory. I've since learned a little bit more about it. And one of the things I learned was you started Dirty Heads way back in high school, right? Yeah, we were like 15 or 16, I think, when I met Daddy. And we started playing music. And I think right when we graduated was when we started really taking it serious, you know, like started playing little live acoustic shows and people were coming and selling them out. And we kind of like threw all the other plans that we had out the window and just put our heads down and did this. So I think that's a lot of people's dream, right? But for most people, it often doesn't happen that it comes to be. They start out in a band in high school, but it kind of fades away. How? What do you think is the secret to your success that you guys are still doing this? Okay, I, I'm I'm going to say this. I, I've said it before, and it's it's. Um, I don't know how much I believe in like in fate, right? Or like your path is just your path, right? Like it's already predetermined, things like that. Um, but when I, I remember this feeling, Duddy had it too. When we started the band, and this is the only time it's ever happened in my life. When we started the band and I would think about being successful at night before I'd go to bed, there was like a, a an overwhelming feeling of 
confidence. Like there was almost like, there was just something in my gut that was like, you, you, there's no way that you're not going to do this. Like there's no fit. You're not going to fail. It's going to happen. And I'm pretty like, I second guess everything. I second guess like, ground turkey or ground buffalo or and then I get ground buffalo I'm like man I should have got ground turkey like I do that 50 times a day <laughs> but when it came to this thing every my mom my dad my friends everybody hey it's really risky getting into to music and it's really hard becoming a band and I just had this overwhelming feeling of like no we're good like I knew we were gonna be successful day one like just starting. And then when I told that to Duddy, like years and years later, he was like, dude, me too. I used the same thing. I would sit in bed at night, like in high school and just be like, man, this is crazy. We're going to do it. We're totally going to do this. And it happened. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's weird. And then what about other people's reactions? Like your parents, were they like, yeah, you're going to go on and be a musician and this is going to be successful? Or do you have anybody that discouraged you from pursuing this? No, uh, fortunately, no. I don't. Nobody really discouraged, but everybody definitely, you know, kind of, was uh, trying to like let us know the reality of it, you know, just some reality checks here or there. But nobody discouraged us. We had a, we've always had supportive friends and family. And then, in terms of your substance abuse, did that start before the before the band got together, during, or at what point did did you start drinking? I mean, I think in in the culture that I grew up in, like surfing and skating in Southern California booze and weed was part of whatever we were doing. Like if we were skating, you're going to bring beers. If you're surfing, you're going to bring beers. If you're fishing, you're going to bring beers. Like we didn't do one thing. We did one thing with beers, right? So Mm -hmm. that, I felt like that probably wasn't the healthiest thing, but I, I never really noticed or liked um, having something, having control of me too much. I remember when I was selling weed in high school and I was smoking too much, I would get, I would get scared. Like, Hey, if I, if I'm not high, I get grumpy. So I stopped for a while. Right. So like things like that would bother me. Um, so I feel like I had it, I didn't have an issue growing up. Um, I was around it a lot, but once I got into the band and like you're stuck in a van and you're playing these really not great shows and it's cold. It's the winter time. You want to take the edge off. There's nobody at these shows. I feel like that's where it started. And then when we became successful, it was like everybody just wanted to party. And I'm a people pleaser. And I wanted to party also. And nobody says no. Like if I got up at 7 o'clock to go to a radio show and do radio in the morning and crack beers, everybody was like, everybody was cheering. Nobody was like, dude, what are you doing cracking beers at seven in the morning? So having a job where you're an entertainer and your job is to party and get people to party, I think that just really kind of fast forwarded everything. And that's where I really fell into it and just, you know, it just took over from there. And were the people around you doing something similar? Mm, yeah, but not as, not to the extreme that that mine was. And, and you know, I just don't, in a lot of things that I do, I don't really have breaks. I'm either going to do it or I'm not, you know, 100% or or zero. I hear that from a lot of people who yeah. struggle with it. Say, <laughs> yeah. Moderation is not my strong no, suit. N- no, yeah. And at what point did you realize it was a problem for you? So I, the big thing that I can, and I can see it from a mile away with, um, say, people that are close to me now, um, you know you have an, a problem, but you don't want to admit it to yourself. But you, you, it's one of these weird subconscious things where you are admitting it to yourself. But every time you admit it to yourself, you're just like, get it, get out of here. Thoughts like, can't catch me. I'm not, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to 
agree with you today. You know, I don't want to have to deal with this today. So there was a couple years where I was like, oh man, this is bad. And then it wasn't until I, I couldn't get out of my bunk. I couldn't get out of my tour bunk one morning and I had to go to the emergency room before a show. And the doctor was like, your body's shot, your liver's shot, everything's shot. I just been, I hadn't eaten in like two weeks, barely drinking water, just drinking booze from like morning till, you know, I go to bed. That's how I would get up is drink. And, uh, I, it, I realized that I was, I might possibly miss the show that now I'm affecting my bandmates, my bandmates, families, my family. Like I'm affecting so many people other than just me. That's where I was like, that's where it really hit me pretty hard. And that's when I stopped that day. Um, I just, and everybody's path is different. I did cold Turkey on the road. And I, like a lot of people say that, that that's the worst idea ever. It's really dangerous. I understand that. And it probably was pretty dangerous, but it was such a low, low that I am glad that it happened that way because I never want to go back to like withdrawing, you know, off of pills and booze on the road, not being home, like just being in a bunk for a month. Uh, it was really rough, but that was like, I look back on it now, um, with compassion because like, I can be like, Oh man, I'm glad that it happened that way. Cause like, there's nothing, no amount of money, nothing you could do to even get me close to back to, to where I was. At the time, did you know that it was dangerous? A lot of people don't know. I just want to make sure our listeners know, yeah, you can die from alcohol withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people don't necessarily know that. Did you know that at the time? No idea. I had zero idea. I was like, I just need, this is what I need to do. Obviously, I need to quit, you know, like this is, this is messing everything up. So I'm done. And it was, it was, it was a bummer. It was sketchy. Yeah, I was shaky and sweaty and a miserable three or four weeks, you know. And how did you not go back to drinking when you felt that awful to know the one thing that would make you feel better in that moment was to take a drink? How'd you not do it? Um, I think like I was saying, like the low was so low that I was just ready to get out. I was, I was exhausted. Like I was exhausted of being exhausted. I was exhausted of getting up and drinking. I was, and, and I wasn't even at that point in time, it had been years and years of abuse, right? So I wasn't even enjoying it. it. I wasn't drinking to feel good. I was drinking to get through the day. Like I was drinking to maintain. There was no more euphoria. There was no more like fun. It was like, get up, drink to maintain, get through whatever I need to get through through my day and then black out because I'm trying to find that like the happiness, the serotonin, the dopamine, whatever I was getting before. And it just wasn't there. So I was just like, this isn't even fun anymore. So it just got to the point where nothing was appealing about it. And I knew I could go back, but then I would just kind of think of like, dude, that's it's been two weeks, it's been three weeks. And there's a lot of shame too that that came along with it. And it was it, it's dark and it's depressing. But like the other side, oh my God, is so it's like black and white TV. It's like when black and white TV and then like color TV. Like that's how I felt like my life was when I was using was black and white TV. And then when I stopped, like 4K HD avatar stuff, you know. And at first, did you feel worse? So some people will say when I when I cut back on drinking or I cut back on drugs, my mental health problems started to emerge and I felt worse because that's why I started in the first place was to mask a lot of those symptoms. Did you have any of that? Yeah, actually. So I'd, I'd been a pretty happy-go-lucky kid growing up and kind of was always the positive one in my group and uh, like kind of prided myself on somebody that could bring everybody around. Like what I did for my job, I would do it before, like just make everybody have a good time and 
and I knew I was a good time and, and I never really, I was maybe had a little bit of anxiety, but nothing too much. And, um, after I think I just had done so much damage that, um, I was really depressed, like extremely depressed, like on the brink of, you know, like definitely suicidal thoughts and, um, anxiety and depression. And it was like, it was a dark, I, I want to say a, a good, like it was a rough battle for a couple years, uh, maybe a year, year and a half. Um, and then I had a friend, his name's Ian McCall. He's a UFC or a retired UFC fighter. He had problems with um, abuse and he, substance abuse. And he was like, hey, come into the gym. I just want to see something. Come into the gym. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's go. So I was like, this is great. I'm going to go. I'm going to throw up. I'm depressed. I don't want to be here. Let's go. And I, I worked out. And I remember it was the first time in like, you know, a year and a half where I'd felt normal for that 30 minutes after after my workout, like my brain had just given me the right amount of chemicals or it just had balanced at that one point. I was like, Oh, this is Jared. Like I'm here. I'm back. Oh my God. Like there was a window of me being me after that workout. So that's where my my addiction just swapped to something healthy. And I was working out twice a day, um, you know, for a good three to six months, whenever I could, uh, and, and then eating. And then I started learning about the brain. Cause I thought that that was really weird. I like, I started to look at it as a science project, like, okay, well, if I've abused my brain and I can hopefully fix it, what do I need to do? What do I need to eat? What do you know? What what kind of things do I need to do in the morning? Like what? Just like what kind of exercises? And then I started getting into breath work and um, ice, like cold plunges and sauna, and just like reading, researching, watching, and finding ways to. The joke was at first it was to cheat the system. Like how do I just how do I get the same chemicals that drugs and booze give me that I know my brain has without using, and. Breath work is like the number one. Like if you want to, like if you're trying to cheat the system, but not only get a ton of health benefits, you can get extremely high off your own supply of breath work. And it's, it's euphoric, it's psychedelic, it's meditative, and it's very good for you. So I, I found all these ways that to, um, at, at, I think at the, at the time it was to kind of get rid of the cravings and then it became something, the byproduct product of it had become so positive um, that I, it just became a lifestyle after that. I wasn't just, um, you know, an addict trying to get high without getting high. You know, it was like, oh my God, this is actually like, I'm losing weight. I'm happy. I'm stable. I'm, you know, like just everything started falling into place and all the things that were falling into place were all positive things. Now the negative things started disappearing. How did you learn of that? I don't, as far as I know, there's not a book out there that says do A, B, and C, or here's the exact science of how to replicate the things that you need in your brain to feel good. How'd you learn that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, uh, uh, my friends that surf actually. So from, so I learned to exercise from Ian and a lot of other friends like, Hey, and even, even therapists that I was going to doctors were like, Hey, if you know, if you're depressed, like, and you don't want to take any antidepressants and I, I don't think you need them, exercise is really good. And, and so from that, that's where I found that. And I just stayed with that. But in the MMA world, there's a lot of surfers and a lot of this in the surf world, there's a lot of MMA guys. Um, and they kind of like cross paths and there's a lot of friends and I have a lot of friends and they're big wave surfers and they do Wim Hof and different. And that Wim Hof is one style of breathing. It's this guy and it's his technique. And there's other styles of breathing for big wave surfing, um, just to get your lungs ready and bigger and getting more oxygen and holding more CO2 and all these things. So when you're held down, it's like, that's really interesting. And so I, 
I just thought that that was interesting and started researching it from just friends that surfed. And then I found that, you know, the guy Wim Hof doesn't surf. It wasn't for surfers, but he was saying, you know, athletes, just mood stabilizer before you, you know, after you wake up, when you go to bed, whenever you want, if you feel sick. And I was like, I don't buy this. And then I saw some shows that were done on the guy and it was like him going to like camp three on Everest in shorts and him running a marathon in shorts and him sitting in an ice bath for three hours and not getting hypothermia. And I was like, this is fake. And then it was the documentary of like people at Harvard testing it. And I was like, this is not fake. Okay. You know, th- what's the woo woo was gone. And, and then once I started doing it, which it's very easy, you could do it in 15 minutes right now. You just, you know, YouTube Wim Hof technique and you could sit down and do it in 15 minutes. And I was like, Oh my God, this is kind of life changing. And, and between that and exercise, it definitely did change my life. The, the ice baths I think are just as important too as the breathing. People forget about that. I'm glad you brought him out because I actually mentioned him in, in one of my books because they found he can regulate the temperature of his body, right? It's mm-hmm. in ice cold water and yet doesn't feel cold. That is not my experience. But <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I, find, I find that to be fascinating, the link between the brain and the body and how a lot of the experiences we have uh, changing our brain. We have more power and more control over a lot of the things than we give ourselves credit for. So I am also fascinated by him. I'm still yet to sit in a freezing cold bath, but my hat's off to people that do it. And so do you practice breath work? Like part of, is that part of your everyday routine? Is it something you do before you go to bed? How does that work now? It's, it's part of my everyday routine. It's the first thing I do when I wake up. So I wake up, I do breath work and then, you know, shower, get on through my day or whatever. And sometimes if I'm running late, I'll do it in the shower. Like I, it's, you know, I'll sit down and it doesn't take long. Um, so it's definitely a habit. I do. And then on the road, I do it three times. I do it once when I wake up, once after my workout, and then once before we go on stage. Um, and like I said, when it was like, when I was in that science project mode of like kind to trying to fix my brain, it was, it was wild to find something like that. Like the addict in me, um, thinking that my brain was irreversibly broken or something. And I'd done all this damage. Once I saw the documentary that like you said, Wim Hof can control temperatures and there's other yogis and stuff that can, you know, make just their palm hot. And then they can make this palm cold at the same time, which is wild. It's like, okay, I, I, you know, I can fix my brain. I can do more than, than I think. And, um, I thought that that was just really fascinating. So, and like I said, everything else, it just became my new addiction and then it became a healthy habit. And now it's just part of my lifestyle. And, uh, I like to, it's a blessing and a curse, but, um, we figured out, uh, I have a fragile ecosystem now. And it's like a very nice way of saying that I've done a lot of damage with drugs and alcohol and partying through over the years. So I have a very fragile ecosystem. <laughs> and if, uh, if I don't keep it up, I get sad again. I get depressed again. I get eggy. I get grumpy. I, I feel off. And then I have to look at, Oh I haven't worked out in three or four days because we've been traveling or whatever. So when, um, it, it it can be a bummer because like, man, I have to get up and work out every day. That's a bummer. Sometimes I don't want to work out. But for me to be living at my potential, having to do all these healthy things, I feel like that's such a blessing because that's just what I should be doing anyway in the first place. And in the long run, that's going to pay off. And I like that self-awareness. I think for a lot of us, we think I'll go back to the gym when I feel like it. Well, you're never going to wake up and no. feel like it. You have to push yourself to go first. <laughs> and the feeling of wanting to be there might come later. Yeah. What's your exercise routine or schedule look like these days? 
so when I'm home, I uh, I train at Ruka, the surf company Ruka. They have a really awesome private gym, and I do Muay Thai and some jujitsu and just kind of like MMA training there on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays I do weight training either at my house or um, at my friend's gym. And days off, uh, I'll try and surf, and then if the waves are good, then I'll just implement surfing with one of the you know it just surfing is so hit or miss with swells and everything that like, you know, if it's good, I'll be surfing that week and I might not weight train or, or, or do Muay Thai or whatever. I'll just be surfing, but I'll, I'll always have those. And I kind of do six days a week. And like, usually surfing is one of those days where I kind of look at that as like more of a rest day. Cause it's super fun. It doesn't beat you up and things like that, you know, or like a super quick jog or something. And then I have the recovery days that are super fun. But that's like sauna, ice bath, sauna, ice bath, sauna, ice bath. And you just do rounds of that and lots of breath work. It's, it's, it's fun. It's a lot more fun than you think it is. And like, I've come to learn that suffering like is when it, when it's, um, there's a certain type of suffering that's self-inflicted when you know you're going to get something positive out of it that like I really learned to love. Like there's something really beautiful about forcing yourself to suffer through something and just suffer a little bit every day to make yourself a better person or to feel a little bit better. Because when you're a better person, obviously you spill over. And when you're you know, not doing good, you obviously spill over. And what spill do you want to be getting on your friends and family? <laughs> you know, like if your bucket's full, like what do you want? Do you want the negative or the positive? So I've just found something like really be- beautiful and like it gives me a lot of confidence and self-worth to be like, okay, I'm going to do something that sucks really bad today. And it might only take 30 minutes, but I'm just going to do it. And on the other side of it, I'm going to feel better, be a better person for everybody around me. And then that gives me like just a sense of self-worth. Like, okay, I did something for not only myself, everybody around me today. And like, I got through it. And it just kind of like gives you a little, little bad check for the day. You know, your day's probably not going to get much worse. I'm a big fan of that too, pushing ourselves to do hard yeah. things. And all of the times when your brain says to quit, to be able to say, no, I can do this a little bit longer. And it trains our brains to realize, no, I'm stronger than I think, or I can tolerate something that I thought I couldn't tolerate. Yeah. And I, I feel like the trick is to like, at, not to beat yourself up when you don't do that. Like, so I hadn't done an ice bath in like almost two weeks. We had flown down to Cabo for a show. And that was like four days and we flew home and I had two or three days off before and we had to go back to Mexico for a wedding. So we had like two weeks pretty much down in Mexico and I worked out a little bit, surfed a little bit, but no ice baths. I came home and set up the ice bath and my friends were using it and I was the last one to get in and they had packed so much ice on and it was, it was so cold. Like I usually know like the amount I put in like five bags or, or, you know, 12 scoops wherever I'm at. And this was triple that. And I got in and I was like, oh, this is a lot colder than I normally do. And I couldn't last longer than I maybe not even 60 seconds. It was so cold. And I was like screaming at myself for not being able to push through it. And usually I sit in for three to five minutes, but and then I got like gotten angry at myself. So I had to try and do it again. But like, there's just some things where it's like, you don't net, like if you can push yourself and get through things, but also don't beat yourself up if, if you don't, <laughs> you know, if you don't do it, like it's fine. You're not, you know, running a triathlon tomorrow. And if, and if you are, then kudos to you. And if you don't, be, it's just like, don't beat yourself up on, on things like that. We're not professional athletes, you know? 
I agree completely. I, there's so many things in life I think that we're way too hard on ourselves, things that mm. don't really matter. Like, okay, it's a great challenge to sit in the ice bath, whether you did one minute or four minutes, probably the uh, sun is still going to rise tomorrow and yeah. five years from now, your yeah. life won't be, uh, it won't be that much different depending. But sometimes we treat those things like it's awful or we beat ourselves up and it creates this cycle of actually increasing the chances that we're going to repeat some of the mistakes that we make. Yeah, definitely. Good point. Uh, how about, uh, you mentioned diet before, that you changed your diet to figure out how to live your best life. What kind of changes did you make there? Um, well, during the... Uh, my wife really helped with diet. So she's always been really healthy. So I would just kind of got on her program and it was, you know, a lot of fish, a lot of veggies. Very, you know, we call it boring, but it it is pretty boring. You know, it's just squash and salmon one night or chicken and asparagus. It was very, it, it was very boring. And then I started cooking more and, and doing a lot just trying to make myself happy with the diet and and it was fine. And I, I, I have a high metabolism. I'm a skinny guy. I never really had, I've had more trouble putting on weight if anything. Right. So food was never, um, a thing, but I, I noticed that, um, once I started eating healthy and then I would like go and we would go and like, I'd eat, you know, massive amounts of pizza. Cause I can just, for some reason, eat an insane amount of pizza, which is not healthy for anybody, like more than anybody I know, I would have like pizza hangovers in the morning. And then I didn't realize that not only was it like the booze and the pills, it was also my diet that I was just throwing on top of it. It was also like not drinking two of these a day. Like oh, just that, that whole like wives tale where your grandma and your mom are saying like, most of your problems are because you don't drink enough water is True. It's like incredibly true, especially for mental health. There's a lot of people I think out there that are grumpy and they're depressed and they have anxiety and they think it's because they have something wrong with their brain, but it's not. It's because they're drinking coffee and not three of these. Just do it for a week and tell me that your depression or your anxiety doesn't at least cut in half. And I mean, obviously I'm not a doctor, but I'm just saying for people that maybe it's not so severe. Um, I just noticed that diet was like very important to now, okay, I'm sober. I don't drink. I'm not doing drugs, but why do I feel hungover today? Oh my God, I ate terrible the last two nights in a row. You know, so it was pretty fascinating to see that. So when we had the pandemic, I was like, I want to find out exactly what works, like what's optimal for me. So I did vegan for a couple months and I, you know, wrote down what, how I felt. And then I did, um, uh, carnivore MD diet, which was like a ton of organs and fruit. That was it. It was just like organs, meat, uh, protein and fruit, you know, um, wrote down how I felt that. And uh, I think I did three months, maybe more of each. Um, and then I realized that it was neither. And like, I don't buy into diets and everybody is so dogmatic about their diets that it's so nuanced. Every human being is different. It's up to what your body feels good. So I noticed that in doing those and then putting them together, that the when I feel the best, when my body feels the best, when my mind feels the best, is when I do two vegetarian meals a day and one protein meal a day, or one vegetarian and one protein, where it's it's right in the middle of both of those things. When I was doing the vegan diet, mentally I felt really happy, and physically I was extremely tired. And I was doing it properly, and I had a lot of friends helping me, and it was you know. There's probably vegans that will say, well, you're doing it wrong. Okay, that's fine. You know, everybody's body's different. <laughs> um, and then when I was doing the carnivore diet, my body felt really good and my workouts were were really good, but I, mentally I didn't feel great. 
So that's when I was like, well, what if I can just mash them up? What if I can just do a little bit of vegetarian and a little bit of a protein? And I started doing that. And if I'm going to eat a couple times a day, I'll only eat one large protein meal. And then the other, you know, if they're small, three or four little small meals, they'll be vegetarian. Or if they're they're bigger, I'll just do one or two. So it's like a right in the middle thing. And it, and it works and I feel great. You really figure this out. Sometimes when I ask people that question, they'll say, well, I cut back on carbs or they'll have this sort of generic answer. You figured it down out, you know, down to like sort of the exact science. How did you do that? Did you keep a journal or a log or a diary or a mood chart or something like that? Yeah, I just used my phone. Like I just wrote it down. But we had like it was the pandemic. And like I said, the human body is so interesting to me. And once and then we don't think about like, well, some people do, but like I never thought about it. And then when I thought about my own body, I was like, I can use, I don't need like test. I don't need mice or monkeys or dogs, poor little guys. Like I can just be the guinea pig. Like I'm just going to do all this weird stuff on myself and see what, what works, you know? And then especially during the pandemic, I had nothing to do. So it was like, okay, I'm going to try this diet for three months. And okay, I'm going to try this diet for, you know, four months or six months or whatever, you know? So we had nothing to do. And I, I, I tried to figure it out. And I think when you do come out of something a lot darker, um, like substance abuse and addiction, um, you know, being happy is really important and you don't take it for granted anymore. And when you can find ways to ha- um, have happiness be more stable, it's it's really important. You know, it's uh, there's a little bit of like jealousy in me when I talk to my friends. They're like, oh, I don't get hungover and I don't get depressed and I don't have anxiety and they don't. And then that's just them and that's their bodies and that's their brains and they never have and might never will. And I'm like, man, must be nice, right? But at the same time, it's kind of cool like to be able to experience, experience all things in life, whether they're good or bad. And now I can empathize with a whole new group of people. And I've been like, you know, great suffering, great uh, happiness also, you know, like I've been to the lowest so I can go to the highest. If you're just here, you know, I don't know, but it's, it's just, I think it's so interesting that I can just use my own body to, to, as a science experiment to get that. And then to find ways to have, um, happiness be a lot more stable. I love that you treated your body like a science experiment. You figured (laughs) it out uh, through trial and error. I'm a therapist and I can tell people what works for most people, but somebody sitting in my office may not be most people. The strategies that work for someone else might not work for them. And who am I to say, no, you have to do this or this will work for you. Our brains and our bodies are all different. So, but we won't know until you try. And a lot of people who come in are reluctant to try something because they'll immediately say, well, that's not going to work or changing my diet won't help. Or I'm not doing this breathing stuff because I've been breathing my whole life. Why would that help now? (laughs) But until you try it and you really invest your energy in it, you really don't know. I'm sure if somebody would have said to you a decade ago, you're going to do these breathing exercises and you're going to, going to enjoy that more than substances, you might not have believed it either. Am I right? <laughs> I would have I would have laughed in their face 100%. Yeah. I, there's there's no way I would have believed it. You know, I would have just pulled the woo-woo card and that's what a lot of people do and that's okay. But, you know, I'm just, everybody has their own path and this is the one I'm on and it's been working. What's the response, your friends and family, now that, that you've started adopting these really healthy habits? What's the response been like? It's infectious, which is really cool. And, a not, and a, um, I, I don't want to take any credit for anybody's improvement in anything that they've done. Um, but I think um, just as uh, infectious as you know, negativity and abuse and... Um, and there's nothing wrong with partying. So I'm not going to say partying because there's a time and a place, but, um, it's, it's, uh, 
being healthy is just as infectious as, as being, you know, negative or, or doing bad things. And so when I kind of came out to my family and the band and, you know, just my friends and everybody was like, man, I'm an alcoholic and like, uh, you know, this is really bad and I got to change. And they, um, I just kind of noticed that, and I'm not, once again, I'm not taking credit, but I did notice that, you know, it kind of maybe made people double check where they were at and, and just be like, okay, like maybe pump the brakes a little bit. I noticed the partying got like a little less on the road. I noticed that the working out got a lot more on the road. I know, I mean, the last tour we did, it was like, everybody's in the ice bath. Everybody's working out every day. There's, you know, half of my band is out there with me sweating every day and there's crew guys getting into it. My, uh, my brother, or my, my mom, or, you know, my neighbors or what are just people around me that are like, man, you're really getting after it. And I'm like, yeah, this is my life now, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I'm dedicated to it and I feel good and I look good. And I feel once you get to that point, it's, it's hard to go back to the, you know, the dark side or whatever. Um, so I've just noticed that, people have kind of caught on and, and luckily the spillage, you know, from, from that has uh, been working in a positive way, not a negative way. Yeah. I noticed that when you talk about ice baths and you said your friends put a lot of ice in there, it's probably a sentence you never thought you'd say, right? When my friends came over and we were taking ice baths. <laughs> no, it's like, it's a thing now. But the funny thing is, is I will get hit up from my friends and be like, oh man, what are you doing right now? I'm like, nothing. I'm just chilling. They're like, ah, oh, I kind of partied really hard last night. Can you like, I'm going to bring over some bags. Can you set up the ice bath in the sauna? And I'm like, 100%. Because they know what it does. They know like it, it really does make you feel better. It really does. like It does a lot. The cold therapy does wonders to the human body. Interesting. Uh, well, last question for you. For maybe some of our listeners who are in a dark place and they can't even imagine adopting healthy habits, they just feel really stuck right now. What would your words of wisdom be for them? It's like, I, I wish... Um, I wish we had like the matrix plugs, right? So I could like, I could take a, a a plug from my brain and plug it into their brain and they could like experience and they could know that I, I knew the experience that they're having now and then they could see what it was like on the other side. Um, I think, I'm just trying to think of like who, you know, like the friends that helped me, what did they say, you know? And I remember everybody just saying like, like, just trust me that it gets better. And I think that was the one thing that, um, you know, I'm like crying, I'm in my backyard, I'm like thinking these terrible, terrible thoughts. And I'm just remembering my friends and looking their test messages that, that they've been through it. Other people have been through it. You're not alone. And like, trust me, trust other people that have done it, um, that it, it one, it doesn't feel like it's going to get better. Like it never feels like it's going to better. It's gonna, It feels like the longest road ever. But when you look back, you'll realize it's not that long, but it is, it was just really brutal to get through that road, but it does get better. Like the color comes back into your life tenfold. Like you may feel gray right now and you're missing that color. Like that's as much as I like, that's the perfect way for me to explain it is that all the color will come back into your life and you'll feel like yourself again. And it 100% gets better. And it does, I think, get easier. It's still a little bit of work, but it just trust that it gets better. I think that was the one thing that helped me and hopefully people will stick with it, you know, because the other side is undeniably better. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and the tips and the strategies that are working for you. Of course, anytime. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Jared's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of Jared's strategies that I highly recommend. Number one, pick an experiment to try for one month. 
I love that Jared experimented with different strategies regarding his diet, exercise, and self-help. There are so many things out there that claim to offer similar benefits, like a vegan diet and a keto diet, for example. Proponents of each one will claim that you'll feel better, you'll look better, and you'll lose weight. But they're very different approaches. How do you know which one works best for you until you try? Quite often, we try one approach and then we get convinced that it works or it doesn't. We try something for a day and we make a quick judgment about it. So I like that Jared tried his experiments for a whole month. And he mixed and matched strategies. Like he eats a couple of vegan meals a day and then one meal with meat in it because that's what helps both his brain and his body function at its best. Number two, keep a log. Jared kept careful record of the experiments that he tried. That's important. Otherwise, you won't really be able to tell if something is helping you feel any better. It's tough to look back and decide whether the exercise plan is helping you sleep better or whether that yoga that you're doing is actually helping you feel less anxious, unless you're keeping a log. You might rate how you're doing on a scale of one to 10 every day. Or you might track several things like how happy you feel, how well you're sleeping, and how much anxiety you have. Then at the end of the month, look back and see how your experiment is actually affecting you. It's also important to try one experiment at a time. Sometimes people come into my therapy office trying to change everything at once, especially around the new year. And then they can't tell whether it's their diet that's making them tired or whether it's the fact that they gave up alcohol that's making them irritable. So you might start with one change at a time so you can really see how it affects you. And number three, create your routine. Once you decide which habits you're going to keep, decide how and when you'll fit them into your life. Jared talked about how he incorporates a variety of exercises into his life like surfing, which is one of his passions. And he also shares how he manages to maintain a schedule when he's on tour. It's important to create a plan for yourself so that your healthy habits don't fall by the wayside. And while you might not go on tour for months at a time like he does, there's a good chance that the things that work for you one week might get disrupted the next. So establish a routine, but stay flexible, and you'll be more likely to stay committed to those habits that you've seen make a difference in your life. And like Jared, if you treat yourself like a science experiment, you can figure out what strategies work best for both your mind and your body. So here are three strategies that can help. Pick an experiment to test for a month, keep a log, and create a routine to incorporate the habits you want to adopt. It's a great approach to figuring out how to become the best version of yourself. And don't forget to check out Jared's music. You can find Dirty Heads wherever music is streamed. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.